0: Hey guys, one of the really cool things Lisa and I get to do while we're on sabbatical is we get to just attend church. Well, I'll be honest, we sneak off and go to other churches because we don't wanna kinda be pulled into anything that might make me get distracted and feel like I'm working while I'm at church. So last year during sabbatical, we snuck off to a particular church a few times because we just really, really loved the culture and the atmosphere and we really loved the pastor. And that church is in Rockland and its name is Creekside. And I'm super excited to share their pastor with you today. It's a huge deal that he's taken a weekend away from his own church to be with us here at Summit. So I hope you'll give an incredibly warm Summit welcome to Pastor Mark Buving. Amazing. Hey, good morning Summit Church. Um, what a gift to be here with you guys this morning. And, um, you know, as Pastor Chris said, it's, uh, it's weird, you know, slipping away from uh, my church and everything that's familiar. I, I, I love the people. I miss them uh, when I'm not there. But also what a gift to be able to be, like, together and recognize we're family, right? B- broader than what we do in our own little circles we're a family, and, and, um, and so to be able to be here and worship with you guys together like this, it is such a gift. So um, this morning, uh, what I, what I want to do is I want to start off by um, acknowledging that I am a lifelong Golden State Warriors fan, okay? And so I know there's the front runners, but let me just tell you, I grew up going to Golden State Warriors games when I was um, really little, and the Warriors were terrible, like absolutely terrible. We'd go. We had a blast. Lately, they've been really good. And, um, and so my, my family, my two daughters, my wife and I, we got to go to game four of the NBA finals at the Chase Center to watch the Warriors play. Now, if you're paying attention, what the Warriors were playing in Boston that night, okay? We got to go to San Francisco. We paid 25 bucks each to go watch them on the screen. But it was like... 14,000 people were there watching it. Um, There's some that are saying it's like Steph's defining game. And so it was like an amazing thing. And what I loved about this final series is you watch the Warriors and man, I mean, we were playing great. We weren't perfect, but we like, we worked really hard. There was a lot of hustle. There was a lot of heart and man, we just pulled it together by the end. Now there's some of you to where what I just said, makes perfect sense, right? We did it, guys. We won the championship. It was amazing. There's others of you that are like, okay, what's this we business, right? What's this we, because what did I do during game four? Um, I sat there and I ate a hot dog, right? And I yelled a whole bunch, okay? But, uh, but Steph Curry was out there sweating, and so was Clay Thompson, Draymond. So I didn't do much. Now, I'm, I'm saying that because um, there, there is a, there's an aspect of our church culture that I think— um, is, is fine, and, it, and it's developed as it has uh, for, for very specific reasons, but there is um, something about the heart of God that we miss in some of the developments of our modern church culture, and it's simply this. We, we talk about it in a similar way of a... Um, This is what we are doing. This is what's happening. And really what a lot of us are doing is um, watching what a couple of key players do. And we celebrate, we feel good or bad about our spiritual lives based on what a few key players do. And what I want to do, this has been something God's put on my heart over the last few years. Um, I want to walk you through a passage of scripture where Paul addresses this very thing. And that's in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3. So I'm going to open my Bible here. If you would like to, I'm going to be looking at a few verses, but we will put them on the screen for you here. But in 1 Corinthians chapter three, I'm going to read the first few verses here, starting in verse three, and this is what Paul says um, to this group of, of uh, Christians in Corinth. He says, "While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, "I follow Paul and another, "I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human?" What then is Apollos? Who, what What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed? as the Lord assigned to each. So, so Paul is addressing a very old, old problem in the church. I mean, these are the earliest days of the church. And he's saying, back then, what used to happen is people would look at someone like Paul or someone like Apollos, and they'd be like, okay, this is my guy. This is the one that I follow. What, like what's happening with his spiritual life is like I'm anchoring myself to that. And when Apollos is doing great, I'm doing great. You know, Apollos is doing bad. Like, ooh, you know, maybe I'll switch teams and I'll be team Paul then, right? And, and so he's, he's seeing the way that they connect to their leaders, and he's trying to pull us away from that. And I think we have a modern version of that now. I, I see it. We have um, celebrity Christians, celebrity pastors for, for um, I don't know, is it the first time in church history? I think it's something like, the fir- what we're seeing now is unique. And so we're, we're team John Piper. You know, I follow John Piper. I, if I follow John MacArthur... I follow John Mark Comer, right? As long as, long as there's a John, right? Someone's gonna attach themselves to that person, right? Or, or maybe we're, um, I'm, I'm just all about Beth Moore. I'm all about Austin Channing Brown. I'm all about Christine Kane. And so we, what, what happens whether I feel good about my faith or not is sort of what's happening to these figures. And you take it more local, right? And it's a, I'm a big Pastor Chris guy. Oh, I'm all about Pastor Mark. Oh I, yeah, I'm glad he got a cheer, at least one. Come on guys. And we do this in so much of what is happening in our spiritual lives is about what, what this person's saying. And what's interesting too is, especially on the bigger scale, it's not, uh, oh boy, look at what John Piper is doing and the way he lives his daily life and the way he loves and serves the people around him. It's really more about their teaching, right? Uh, the, the, way that, the, the way that man talks about doctrine really gets me going, right? And I, I think Paul is pulling us back to something that is healthier because what, what he does is he says, like, who, who are these people? Who's, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? These are just servants, right? They're, they're just servants of the Lord, right? And so he's calling us back to something and saying, these, these people—and God is using them powerfully, right? Uh, God is using these leaders and these pastors powerfully, but he's saying, look, th- let's just be straight here. They're just servants, right? And then, and then who, are, who are we? Who are the rest of us that just we're part of these church families? And we're, who are we? We're also just servants, And there's something freeing and beautiful in that as we kind of dismantle um, a, a kind of a leadership culture that has led us astray. I think sometimes American politics um, drives our thought process more than we think. So what we do in politics is we, we get behind our candidate and, and we vote for that candidate. And when that candidate's in office, then, then that person's going to work to make things happen for us, right? And, and sometimes we get a little way that, that way with church, right? As long as Pastor Chris is back, let's hope he comes back after sabbatical. Of course he will. When he comes back… Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was really poor taste to say that. He's coming back. He's almost here. And uh, when he comes back, he's going he's gonna to fix everything, right? He's going to make, you know, but, but that's actually not the way church is designed. So let's look at what Paul describes the church looking at. And I'm going to jump down to verse 6 here in 1 Corinthians 3. He says it like this. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So I I really believe that the church is actually meant to change the world. And I don't know how that feels to you, but I, I believe that's always been the case. I think it's still the case. The church is meant to change the world. So that might feel a little bit daunting to you, right? Summit Church, your job is nothing more or less than changing the world, transforming the world. And so if that feels daunting, there's a sense in which you're understanding the task because that's impossible. I mean, let's just all just be real. That's impossible, okay? So it feels daunting. That, that, but here's the reality. It also misunderstands the task because what God calls us to do, yes, change the world, but How? And actually, the task that he gives us is actually a very simple task. What, what Paul is saying is, don't look to these leaders. And he's, he's not trying to denigrate the leaders at all. But he's saying, don't look to the leaders because, yes, the church is going to change the world, but not because these servants are so great. He's actually saying, this is going to work and this is going to be powerful because the task is so very simple. And I find so much reassurance in this because if it's all of our job to get out there and to get into the game, so to speak, if it's all of our job, not just to let a few leaders do it all and to tie our spiritual lives to theirs, if it's our job to get in the game, look at how reassuring this task is. He mentions three things that happen here. One, he says that he says, uh, I planted. So there's a planting of a seed, right? He says, Apollos Watered. Okay, so there's the watering of seed, and he says God gave the growth. So there's planting, and there's watering, and there's growth. He's talking about the church and our task in the church in terms of farming. And so it's very simple. I think the idea of planting a seed is kind of like that idea when you introduce Jesus, uh, introduce someone to Jesus for the first time, right? And you're telling them a little bit about who Jesus is, uh, what what it looks like to, to follow him, and to connect to him. So it's that introduction, I think, is the planting of a seed. Uh, The idea of watering a seed, I think, looks like coming alongside that seed that's already been planted and asking, what questions do you have? How are you processing this? What's going on in your life? Helping someone through a tough time, that's kind of pouring water on that seed. And then the the third thing, the growth, that's the real thing, right? Because that's where the seed takes root. And, And with the watering and all that, it just, it comes up and there's this faith that sprouts in a person's life. Maybe for the first time ever. And you see them begin to grow. You see them begin to lead. You see them just begin to take initiative to transform the things in their life that are harmful and destructive. And so Paul lays all that out, right? And, and here's the beautiful thing. The planting, that's something we're called to do. Planting those seeds, introducing people to Jesus. If Jesus is real for us, we talk about him, right? Uh, the watering, that's something we can do. We can, we can lead people further along. The growth, boy, that's the hard one, right? That's the hard one. How can we possibly help somebody grow in the Lord? How can we accomplish that? And Paul says here, we don't. All right, that's the hard one, but don't worry. That's not your job. The planting and the watering, that's your job. The growth, it comes from the Lord. He's the one that produces it. So now we can say, okay, maybe it's a little scary to think, okay, it's not just about the leaders. It's about all of us. But now we can breathe because all he asks us to do is plant some seeds And water some seeds, and then the growth all comes from the Lord. Now there's people that um, have a high, high view of themselves, right? And they need to hear these words because they think, boy, you know, in ministry, like as a pastor, um, I'm so important, right? Because I've got to get this done, and I've got to do it really well. And so a person like that needs to hear uh, these words. Okay, hey, calm down just a second. You're just a farmer. Just get out there and plant seeds and water seeds. You're not all that. You're not that great. You're just in there to plant seeds and water seeds, right? But then there's the other person. The other person that sits there and thinks, okay, uh, yeah, I, this is harder for me. Um, I, I don't think I have much to offer. I'm not sure what to do exactly. And that person needs to hear the exact same words. Don't worry. You're just a servant. You're just a farmer. Just get in there and plant seeds and water seeds. All the growth comes from the Lord. Whether, whether we're the person that is, uh, feels like we need to accomplish a lot or whether the person that feels like we have nothing to offer, the same words apply. Don't worry. You're just a servant. You're just a farmer. Plant seeds, water seeds. God is the one who will produce the growth. Now, I've heard, um, I've heard a stat that, that is a little bit jarring when you hear it at first. They say that 80% of Christians will never lead someone to Christ. 80% of Christians will never lead someone to Christ. And I know my job as a pastor is to uh, hear that, take that, and say, hey, guys, 80% of you are never going to lead someone to the Lord. Like, let's get with it, guys. Like, come on. This is our job. Let's get out there, right? That's supposed to be my job. But I, I, I can't get myself to say that because here's, here's what I wonder. What do we mean when we say uh, 80% will never lead someone to Christ? What does that look like? Does that mean, like, go from, like, in 15 minutes, you introduce yourself to someone, and 15 minutes later, you've got them on their knees, and they're praying a prayer. And, and like, I I don't—if that's what the 80% is about, like, I—that's not what I'm interested in. I don't think that's what God God ever calls us to. Um, Paul asks us, and and I think God is speaking through Paul here, to plant a seed and water a seed. And I would say, if that's our goal and our measure, then I think a lot more than than, 80—than 20%, Right? Are doing this. I actually think that's something now I think we can do it more. And I think that's the invitation is let's get in there and let's do it more. Let's, let's not be the kind of people uh, that are happy to have found Jesus for ourselves, right? And, and, we, and we should be happy to have found Jesus ourselves. And We, we like to uh, group together with people that, that see things the way that we do and find life in Jesus in the same ways that we do. That's, why, that's the beauty of a church. It's this community where we have everything in common and we love each other. So there's so much that we love about this. But we need to be the kind of people that step out into the world around us as farmers. Uh, Not as salesmen, but as farmers, right? To plant seeds and water seeds. And if Jesus means something to us, I mean, we get excited about investing that in somebody else. I think sometimes we get this salesman approach to our evangelism, and we think, boy, um, if I'm going to be one of those uh, people that leads someone to Christ, I'm going to have to work on my Jesus sale pitch, you know? And, and we do things—I did this in college where you're handing out tracts, and if there's some of you that do that, and that's like, God bless you, because um, we all have our kind of our own calling and our own skill set, and God uses it all, right? But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't me, and I was often, I think, guilted kind of into, um, okay, I've got I've to start a cold call conversation with somebody, right? Convince them of their need to Jesus, seal the deal, answer their questions, apologetics, the whole deal— but you know, um, Peter, Peter talks about in one of his letters how he says we need to always be ready to give an answer to someone who asks for the reason for the hope that's within you, right? Now, what does that look like? That doesn't look like a salesman, right? That means you're living your life, and you're excited about Jesus, and he's given you all this hope. And then somebody comes and sees the hopeful way in which you live and says, what's going on with all this hope that you have? The rest of us are really depressed. And then we get a chance to give an answer for that, Right? Ecclesiastes, the the preacher in Ecclesiastes, his whole thing is he's on this quest and and he keeps finding things in his life that like, man, I tried pleasure and I tried business and I tried like owning a lot of property and none of these things provided fulfillment in my life. And he leads the listeners on this quest to find actually God is truly satisfying. That doesn't look like salesman evangelism either. Now I I have to be, um, I have to be careful with this. Okay. So I'm, I want you to know, I'm not talking, I don't know you guys very well at all. I'm not talking about any person here, okay? If, just assume I'm talking about people in my church, okay? Uh, some of the people in my church have gotten involved in multi-level marketing over the years, okay? Now, not, of course, no, none of you do that, and if you do, I don't know you, so this isn't about you, okay? Uh, multi-level marketing, and what, what happens is, um, you know, some of you are actually in multi-level marketing, and you you don't know it or you deny it, but the, the structure is kind of shaped like like a pyramid a little bit, okay? So... Um, we'll, we can talk later if you need to. But what, what happens, okay, in the, in the worst version of this, okay, so again, I'm so sorry if you were doing this, but in the worst version of this, you're not actually making friends, right? What you're doing is you're, you're either using friendships or you're making friendships so that you can invite them to that Cutco knife party or something where you can sell them your product, right? And so there, there's a sense in which, now again, if you're doing it, I know that's not you, that's not your heart, you're not the one that does it this way, it's other people that I know, don't worry. I think Christians sometimes have gotten this bad rap for taking that approach, right? I, I'm, not, I'm not really interested in the people around me. I just want to make a convert, right? So we befriend only long enough and only with the amount of depth that will allow us to kind of get that person to come to our church and become a good tither and all those kinds of things. Um, and and I, I just do not think that is what God's calling us to. In fact, I think it should look a little more like this. I have— um, I have uh, what's called restless legs. I'm I'm sure some of you guys do do too. And, um, you know, I I used to dance a ton and I don't anymore. So I think my legs just have that music in them still. And they, you know, kick. (laughs) Makes it hard to sleep at night and whatever. So I was telling a couple of my friends like about these restless legs that I have and how annoying it is that sometimes I can't sleep. And they, one of them says, oh, have you tried magnesium for that? And I'm like, tell me what magnesium is all about. And so, a little supplement that I that I take, and it literally has like stopped my restless legs. I can sleep now. Whatever, it's amazing. It's life changing. And um, and if you're interested, I have a website that I'd love to sign you up. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. But what I love about that, right, is is there's the one view that goes out, and every nobody's a friend. Everyone is a client, right? But then there's this other view that is, oh, um, we're talking and you hear a problem that I have and you see, oh, you know what? I have something like magnesium that could actually be good news to you, right? Good news. You've got this problem, but I actually know something that could help with that. And then you, you meet that need. And I think that is actually how it should be with Jesus, right? We have our lives and we have all these things, all these ways that over the years, especially if we've been walking with the Lord for a while, all of these reasons, we just sang about that, the testimony and the evidence of what God has done. And we accumulate that over time, over the years. Um, and we begin to see, man, God has shown up in this way, in this way, in this way. And so as we hear our friends and our family and our coworkers talking about, man, I feel really lonely. I feel really depressed. I feel really purposeless. Man, have we been going through that the last few years or what? It has been is this um, pandemic of fear and anxiety and loneliness at the same time that all this other things has been going on. And so as we hear people talk about those things, we say, you know what? Actually, there, there is this, there's, there's this savior that I know, Jesus, and, and, and this is what he does. He speaks love into our hearts, and his perfect love casts out the fear that is in our lives. And he has done that in my life, and I believe he could in yours as well. Would you like to talk about it? That, to me, is a very different thing um, than the salesman pitch, because we see the answer to a concern that we have. And man, we just speak and point people to the Lord in that. I think it's a much more beautiful approach. And I want to look at the last verse here, but before I do, I want to point back at verse 8. Look, this is what's beautiful. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his reward according to his labor. What I love about this too is it's not saying individual Christian, you yourself are the one who is responsible to make every convert that's going to come into the church. No, he's saying we're one. We work together. Uh, Paul planted. Apollos watered. God gave the growth. And so the beautiful picture is within this church family, right? We have, you oh, know, I'm just going to do my best to just represent Jesus. I'm going to talk to him, to a friend. I'm going I'm to see someone and perform like an act of love. And, and, and that's okay. That's enough, right? It's not, it's not like we have to get to that conversion on the account instantly with somebody. It's just saying, yeah, I'm going to show acts of love. I'm going to be gracious. I'm going to be loving. And, and look, I, I used to be afraid that maybe... Maybe I would befriend somebody, right? And they would never come to know Jesus. And I think there was a, a dark moment in my past as I was studying to be a pastor and all this kind of thing, where um, that felt insufficient. What if I tell people about Jesus and I befriend somebody and they never really come to believe the same way I believe. And I look on that now and I think how sad to think that befriending and loving somebody and earning a friend, but not a convert, that that was a loss. No, that's a good thing, right? Uh, having a friend, loving someone. Jesus literally said the two best things you can do in the entire world, the two most important commandments are love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And he doesn't say love them as long as they come to believe the same way that you do. No, love them. Love them. Bless them. Give yourself to them. Every act of love and service that we give is the planting of a seed. It's the watering of a seed. And God is the one who does what he wants with those seeds, right? I just love—so Paul says, he who plants and he who waters are one, okay? Now, there's planters and there's waterers here, and we're different things at different times. Uh, if we were to drive down the road a little bit to Rockland, I'm going to switch over. Sorry, folks, I'm getting a little crackly. I took that day off of seminary when they told you how not to make the uh, microphone crackle, so... Um, if we were to drive a little down the road to, to Rockland, to Creekside Church, there are planters and there's waterers there. And what I love is if we go church to church in this entire area, what we see is a whole bunch of farmers, right? That love the good news, that are being actively changed by the good news. And the good news then comes into our lives. And we're just out there, man, the same harvest field, right? The same people that that, that don't need to be like converts to fill our churches, but they are people that are in need of love and hope and grace and forgiveness and healing. All of the things that Jesus offers in abundance, they're all around us. And I'll tell you what, if we did a map of people in Creekside Church and people in Summit Church and where we live, there's a whole lot of overlap there. I guarantee it. And so what I love is the thought that he who plants and he who waters are one. We're united, right? We're doing the same thing. Where we sit our rear ends on Sunday morning is the least significant thing about us, I think. It's the kingdom of God that matters the most. And it's the love of Jesus that speaks into and transforms our hearts. And I, what I love is it is all, all so very simple. Plant a seed, water a seed. God's gonna produce the growth and he's gonna be the one to transform our lives. He takes all of our individual contributions, weak and frail as they are, and he joins them, unites them together into something that is actually beautiful and meaningful, and timely, and I I love the thought, man. Someone in in Summit Church is going to plant a seed in somebody's life, right? Just an opportunity to talk about Jesus in some way, and it's going to seem like it was nothing, right? Someone in Creekside Church is going to talk to that person a week, a month, a year, a decade later, and that person is going to, they're going to get an opportunity to water that seed that was planted prior, right? And, and so the, the, the first person has no idea the fruit of that thing, right? Um, but someone else finds out later, okay, I'm seeing some growth here. And all along, it's God superintending the process. And it's beautiful. And this is, again, again, this is not what we look to our pastors and say, hey, please, pastor, put this on your job description. Do a better job of this. No, actually, this is one of the greatest strengths of the church is you do get pastors, and we're here to help, right? We're here to encourage, inspire, and bless, and and to to do all these things. But where it really happens is in the army that is the church. And I'm afraid that that, the army of the church has largely been like that stadium that I sat in, right? 14,000 people looking at a video screen, just cheering on, like, you guys are doing awesome, go for it, right? But, man, wouldn't it be amazing if it was 14,000 NBA players with the caliber of Steph Curry out there, right? I don't know what that would look like, but I think that's the picture of the church, actually, is that it's not um, some people doing the thing and then a bunch of people excited about the people doing the thing. No, it is 14,000 people, uh, 100,000, millions of people all around the world throughout all of history that are joining together and are specialized. I mean, the Bible says we have the Spirit of God living inside of us. So what makes Pastor Chris amazing for you guys is the Spirit of God that has awakened gifts inside of him, that that speaks through him as he comes and just shares vision and shares the heart of God for you and invites you into these compelling things. That's what makes Pastor Chris special is that the Spirit of God does that. And and, and that exact same Spirit is in every single one of you. And so as we step out, we are good news people. We're shaped by the good news that Jesus is our Lord and that Jesus heals and and, um, transforms all of us in a thousand ways. The Spirit of God, we are good news people, and we are sent out as farmers where the Spirit just takes everything that he puts in our hearts. He wake, awakens it, brings it to life, and he just sends us out, just scatters us to the globe as these good news, good news farmers. And as we drive all around, as we look around this area, man, these are the harvest fields, and he just sends us all. And, and and maybe it feels small if I just look at Creekside Church. Maybe it looks small if we just look at Summit Church. Maybe if we just look at any individual church, it looks like, boy, Laborers are pretty few, but I'm telling you, if we if we realize God is doing way more than we imagine uh, in our small, myopic little worlds, God is doing way more than that. I want to finish uh, by reading verse 9. I, sorry, I'm, I'm bad with my um, points. I don't utilize them like I should, like uh, Pastor Chris does. But the, the first thing, I you saw it, I think, come up on the screen. But we, we need to stop focusing on our leaders, and we need to start focusing on farming. And the last thing that I want to tell us is we need to start embodying the good news. Look at what Paul says in verse 9. I love the way that he brings this thought to a conclusion here. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. He gives us these three things to, to, to sort of um, hang our identity, the way that we view ourselves. And, and, and this, is, this is where I want us to close and kind of thinking about what these three things are. I think he's calling us to be a field, I think he's calling us to be a farmer, and I think he's calling us to be a temple. These three things kind of add up to a full identity for us. So in the idea of us being a field, the the beautiful part is uh, we're not sent out as farmers because we are so capable and we have it all together. What what we are is we are uh, a field that God himself is cultivating, right? So the, the beautiful thing is we don't graduate from the work of God in our lives to then go and accomplish things for God. No, we you're God's field. (laughs) And God is planting seeds and watering seeds in your life, right? And so we need to, as we do this, kind of open up our hands and open up our hearts and our lives and just say, Lord, I am your field. Would you cultivate this in me? Would you continue to grow and produce fruit in me and grow in that? That is a beautiful picture and such an important reminder that I will always be a field. I'll never graduate past that. God will be working inside of me. I think that breaks down some of the barriers that we have to go out because we we let go of our fears, we let go of our anxieties. We're reminded of the fact that we'll never get to a point where we feel like these super capable people. No, we we are always dependent on God himself. So be a, be a field. Be reminded that you are God's field. God is working in you. Uh, be a farmer. He, he literally says we are God's fellow workers, okay? So we've seen God is the farmer, but he's also saying you're God's fellow workers. You're working alongside of him. You're a farmer too. And so the call, the invitation there is, man, just to get out there and just be with the people around you. You, you are not competent to, to convert them, okay? But you're not asked to be. You're competent, though, to, to, to love and sit with somebody, right? To pray with them, to listen over them. As a pastor, one of my greatest honors is when someone who's passing away on their deathbed, um, I get to be there with them in those moments. Someone who's really sick, um, you get to be there in those moments. And what I like to do as a pastor is just what's the hardest thing this person needs to talk about, but everyone's afraid to talk about with them, right? If they're dying, nobody likes to talk about that. But I get the honor of being able to be there and be like, hey, how are you feeling about coming to the end of this, right? And it, it opens up this sacred space to talk about a thing. Now, I think we as a church have the opportunity to do that with people. Everyone's everyone's afraid of dying in the world around us. Everyone's afraid of losing their jobs right now. Everyone's afraid of, like, society is in this place of unrest and turmoil and division And we as a church get to be in there. And while everyone else avoids the topics and avoids the hard things, we can be the ones that just give people a place to talk about the things that are hurting them, the things that they're weighing on their minds and hearts. And so all I'm calling us to here is uh, be a field. Let the Lord cultivate you. Be a farmer. Get in there and sow seeds. Pray with people. Pray over them. Pray with them together. And lastly, he says, be a temple. I think that's what he's saying. When he says you're God's building, I think the context in First Corinthians, he's talking about a building in which the Lord himself dwells, which is a description of a temple. And the idea is that we are together building blocks. Like we are together a temple and the Holy Spirit dwells amongst us in the way that the glory of God dwelt in the temple. And so be a, be a field, be a farmer, be a temple. Join together with these people here and say God, God dwells amongst us. I'm not doing it alone. We're doing it together. And we're going to see, man, if we could together, like if, if, if um, Summit Church could be this place where the Spirit of God dwells, that becomes a compelling community that when you're together and when you're apart, the Spirit of God is just moving. And it's this compelling thing that people want to be a part of. They see the grace and the love of Jesus transforming. And so this is, uh, this is a healing vision for me. Um, as I Think of uh, what church the church landscape looks like in America. Um, there's podcasts and documentaries and, and all kinds of, of news headlines about how fallen our biggest leaders are and all the problems with Christian celebrity. This is a, a healing vision for me uh, of what it could look like for us to step in humility and say, it's not about building bigger. It's not about being more grandiose. It's not about building a huge platform. It's simply about us just saying, Lord, what healing work do you want to do in my life and in the people around me? What what little seed can I plant? What little seed can I water? And Lord, how can we watch you do something big in the midst of it, in our own lives and in the people around us? And so I want to I want to um, start uh, end this by praying together, and uh, and I, I I it feels weak and insufficient, but what I want to do is give you a moment of silence before the Lord. And so I'm going to leave it silent for a minute, and I, and I'm going to ask you just to kind of sit in that silence if you're comfortable. And, uh, and what I'm going to ask is this. Um, I'll, I'll pray for us in a minute, but I'm going to leave it silent. What I want you to do in that silence, and it feels a little awkward to do, but it's such a beautiful thing, is to ask the Lord um, to show you what that seed looks like. Uh, give you a name or a face of somebody that's, that's ready for a seed, or maybe ready for a little bit of watering. And just ask him, if as those names and those faces come to your mind, ask him, Lord, what would that look like? When do I do that? How do I follow you in that? And then I'll close this in prayer. So let's just take a, a few quiet moments here to process that before him. Lord, I know that you are here. Lord, we, we are here as people that you love deeply, people that you've been pursuing your entire life, our entire lives. Lord, you've been chasing after us and you've been nudging us and you've been providing for us in ways that we recognize and also ways that we don't. And so, Lord, I believe that you're here. I believe that you care about us. I believe that you care about this area and these people around us. And so, Lord, those names and those faces that I believe you put in many of our minds this morning. Lord, give us opportunities. May we be, may we lose the burden of accomplishing it all. May we lose the guilt of not doing what someone expects us to do. And Lord, would your spirit just empower us in a spirit of freedom and a spirit of grace to to be watchful for those moments where we can plant a seed. Watchful for those moments when we can water a seed. Lord, you are so good. You are so good, and this is your harvest. We are your people. Keep us as fields. Keep us as farmers. Keep us as this temple that's built together in you. Lord, we just want to love you and serve you and enjoy you, and I pray that that would be true in Summit Church. Lord, fill this place with gospel farmers um, that are filled with the good news and scattering it everywhere they go. That is our prayer, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.